There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. And I'm looking forward to an illuminating conversation with today's guest, Michelle Rogers, author of the book, Trans Right, the story of how I grew up conservative and later turned transgender, along with my political philosophy. Michelle Rogers, welcome to Next Steps Forward. And thank you for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. Michelle was born as Michael Rogers in Tennessee in 1956 did not realize until recently that she was, in fact, a woman born into a man's body. As such, she transitioned much later in life than many transgender people. Furthermore, as her book title suggests, Michelle remains politically conservative on many issues, which may indeed come as a shock to many people who stereotype various groups of other people. Michelle, you've noted that in your reading of other books by transgender people suggest that the majority of our group realized their unusual situation fairly early in life. You wrote, some know that they are in the wrong body very early. I almost envy them. And yet you have reservations that making that realization early in your life would have been a good thing, would not have been a good thing. Why not? Well, for a couple of reasons. The family would not have accepted me because of where I grew up in a very working class Southern environment. And the environment itself would not have accepted me. It was a pretty rough place to grow up, no matter what you were. And for a transgender person, it would have just been impossible to describe. There would have been regular beatings and probably worse. Beyond the family considerations, do you think there were other benefits related to your coming to the realization much later in life? Well, coming to it later in life meant that I had more financial resources with which to approach it. I mean, it's not inexpensive. You have to go out and buy an all new wardrobe. You have to do quite a few other things if you want to be taken, you know, people to see you as female. And having the money to do that, and I'm not rich, but at least I could do it. And that was one major benefit to doing it later. And maybe also you just have a little more wisdom about what life is like. And so it doesn't, some things might not throw you quite as much as they would if you approach them younger in life. Maybe you can accept some of the problems that you are thrown at, that are thrown at you and make you want to go, well, I can tolerate that if even if I don't like it. I was fascinated that you wrote the book for the transgender community, but you noted that you kept the language clean yes. so not to offend a larger audience. Why did you feel that it was important to tell your story for the transgender people? Because so many people think that, especially those of us who are politically conservative, that we simply don't, they don't think that transgenders either do not exist or should not exist. And they especially think that conservative transgenders simply do not exist. And I felt that it was my purpose to tell them that, yes, in fact, we do exist and that we have an important voice to be heard in the political conversation of the country. You believe, and it's certainly logical, that the transgender people who have it best are the ones who figure out their situation early and who have their family support and their quest. You also write, whether or not they have operations to change their sexual organs they at least get to live as the gender they believe they are. 
They can be authentic and true themselves, even if the world sees them as a different gender to their physical makeup. Do you have any estimate of what percentage of transgender people that would be versus how many are in less than ideal situations? No, I'm not that familiar with it, but I can't imagine that it's more than a fourth of the overall transgender. I'm, I'm guessing that most transgenders, just based on what I've heard in group settings and the like, most transgender people have it a good bit harder than that. So I'm going to guess it's not more than a fourth at most. And what would you tell people that say that those who transition are seeking attention or just following a trend? I can understand where they're coming from, but they are incorrect. This is not something you do on a whim. It's not something you do just to follow a fashion because it requires so many changes in the way you live and how people perceive you. And, and quite frankly, a lot of those changes are negative. And so this is not something you do unless you really believe that you truly are the gender that you are making the transition to. You've said that becoming transgender doesn't mean that everything about you will change. Can you comment on the things that do change and the things that don't? Well, um, your feelings about a transgender situation, and I guess about the gay life in general, the LGBT, are probably going to change to some degree, no matter how you felt before. Uh, that side of it, you're going to certainly have a little more tolerance there. Even if you didn't have a problem with that in the past, you become more aware of what's going on. But the other parts of your life, and of course, how you are perceived in the world changes great. But other parts of your life don't change at all. You still eat pretty much the same things. You still have most of the same daily routine. You still have most of the same political beliefs that you had before. Those are the sorts of things that don't change. You still got to go wash your clothes, for example. So I hope that helps. Yeah, absolutely. And why do you think it has become a common perception that individuals who transition completely change and more specifically change their politics in the process? How do you change that? I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just saying, how do we change that perception, you know, especially in the, in the political realm? I think part of it is because so many folks who make the transition are very much on the left side of the political spectrum. I think some people look at that and say, oh, they must have changed, you know, when they made the overall transition. And it's just ignorance. The general population just doesn't know that the rest of us really don't change. I would say that most of those folks were already very much to the left to begin with, whether they would have been transgender or not. As for how do you change the perception, the best way I can think of is for all of us who are transgender to just live our lives as openly, as honestly as we can, you know, not trying to bang on people's doors to seek attention, but just living our lives and saying, this is who we are. We're simply wanting to be accepted as real people. You also note that most people assume that the great majority of transgender persons are liberal to the or to hard left. You've even heard that view expressed many times by transgender people themselves. Why do you think so many people just make that assumption? Well, because they associate LGBT with the political left. Um, that would be the best. I, I guess I probably did that in earlier years myself. So I think that's where most of it comes from. You point out that you also noticed that some transgender people often including yourself, don't talk about politics in public and pose those questions. Do these transgender persons not care or are they laying in the weeds, staying silent for fear of being mocked or harassed by the lefties? 
Oh, definitely. I mean, when I have sat inside transgender group meetings, I've, that's where I've seen a lot of it, where the folks who might not be on the left simply don't talk about politics at all. And maybe they don't care about politics, and that's perfectly fine. Not everything in life revolves around politics, and it shouldn't. But I hardly ever heard anyone in those meetings talk about politics from a conservative perspective. And that's why I came to the conclusion that some of these folks at least must be keeping silent in order to avoid that kind of harassment. And that's the shame because it shouldn't have happened that way. And that's what I'm trying to do in writing this book. Absolutely agree. You also ask, how can any person be conservative and transgender, especially when many right-wingers hate transgender persons? What's the answer to that question? Well, why not? My answer is why not? Um, Politic politics is not the same as your belief about yourself and what gender you really are internally. And I guess I think religion gets into it because the religions for the most part tell us that being trans, you know, having a gender separate from the one of your physical body is simply not possible. Well, I might've agreed with that five years ago. Now I've gone through it and I know better. And that's what we have to try to tell people. Yes, it is possible. Is difficult as that is for you to believe. I'm sorry. So you also ask, how can any person be conservative and transgender, especially when, I'm sorry, we just went through that question. We yeah, yeah, we went that. through that. But, sorry, but it's easy, but it's easy. I mean, in theory, it's just, you can, do, you can be conservative, you can be liberal, you can be anarchist, fascist, uh, libertarian, you can be anywhere on the spectrum. That has nothing to do with how you see yourself as a person as to whether you think of yourself as a male or female, or if the perception you have of yourself matches what your physical body is, or for that matter, the case of the people who don't necessarily have all male or all female bodies, the people who are nowadays called intersex. So what about them? So where do you think this hate arises from? And more importantly, maybe how do we bring it to an end? The hate, I, I hate to say this because I do consider myself a Christian, but I do think it comes from, the 2000 years of Christianity and, and, and of course, and other religions, not just Christianity, who have taught that this is a very grave crime. Um, I've done enough reading to know that there are some other cultures outside the Western world where a third gender, so to speak, is not as bizarre as it might have seemed to those of us. In terms of how we end it, again, the only way I can think of it's not going to be to pound on the majority. It's going to be living our lives authentically and simply showing the majority that we are not a threat to them. And it's going to be a long process. It's not going to be easy. So, but that's what we have to do. I don't think screaming and pounding is going to help much. Quiet. It's quiet. It's almost like quiet testimony, as a Christian would say. So. I mentioned at the top that you were born in Tennessee. Yes. <laughs> take, us, take us back there and share your story up to your high school years, because I have a high school question for you when you get to that point. Well, it was a very, okay, the city I live in is a, we're definitely a small to medium city. I grew up in a very working class part of town. Um, and as I said before, it was a pretty rough environment. It would have been rough for anyone, but I guess, being, you know, not being unknowing transgender probably made it a lot worse. There was a fair amount of bullying involved. Uh, I, 
I hate to admit that I mostly ran from it. Um, I didn't know what else, I really didn't know what else to do. And I was also the class nerd that didn't believe me that in that environment, that didn't help matters either. Uh, you add those two together and I was pretty much, you know, someone that basically an untouchable to use the old term. And so I made it through those years. Well, I mean, I did a few things as I got into junior high school, which for the kids, that's what we had before we had middle schools. I did some work with sports teams, not playing, but uh, doing equipment managing and that sort of thing. That helped a little bit because I at least got some exposure to what other guys were like. It gave me a little bit of exposure to locker rooms and the sort of stuff that went on in them. Um, and I just lived my life as, you know, I just tried to do my studies, live my life as best I could until I got up into high school. And it basically went that way, you know, for most of high school. Now, the physical bullying became a little less in high school, although not didn't go away completely. Uh, and I continued to be a nerdy type. And so I just tried to live my life as best I could, usually mostly on my own. Now you're in your senior year of high school. Yeah, yeah. And I believe when you land the lead role in Death of a Salesman. Yep. You're Willie Loman. Share that experience with us and what you took from it. Uh, it was a bizarre experience. There were supposed to be two of us. There were two performances scheduled and there were two guys. I was one who was very much on the outer edge of the periphery of the social realm of high school. I was as far out in the galaxy as you could get. The other guy was very much in the middle of the in crowd. Um, everyone, you know, everyone loved him. Well, in the end, he had to drop out at the last minute because he got sick. And so I ended up having to do both performances. It took a lot of work. One thing I found out is that I am very bad at memorizing. Um, it took a long time to learn those lines because there's a, you know, that's the start lead character in that play. And so you've got, a, you've probably got a third of the dialogue of the entire play to learn. And of course, you've got to know what everybody else is going to be doing also. Uh, I also found that, I mean, I, I was proud of the fact that our high school was able to put on a pretty high end production. I think a lot of high schools would have attempted something less ambitious. <clears throat> but we got through it. We obviously did not uh, get any awards from the show business industry, but that's fine. We, we did it for ourselves, and I still have the script book from that. I've never really looked at it in many years, but the last thing that I got out of it was that I found out that I'm not an actor. <laughs> so it was good to learn that early in life, I and I was happy that we did it. Having trouble memorizing, memorizing lines would make that a difficult uh, profession. Yes, it would. It no does. <laughs> it does. Okay. Now we're in college mm -hmm. and you feel like you made the same sort of mistake that countless people make. You chose the wrong major for you. Oh, it yes. Took you quite a while to sort out. Where was that? What years? Where did it take you? And where did you decide later in retrospect that you should have gone and why? Well, when I first went to college, I was a pretty mixed up person. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, at one point, I even took about six months off just to try to get my head straight. And then I came back and took some general ed courses. Still didn't know a whole lot. The only thing I remembered was that I had enjoyed playing music earlier in life. And so I looked at it 
and I became a music major. And that's fine. That's fine if you're sure you're good enough to make it to professional level. Turned out I was pretty good. I just wasn't, I just missed that last little step that you needed to become truly professional. And I just didn't have that last little bit of technical ability. I think I had the interpretive ability, but not the technical ability. And so I got to about the senior year of college. And by then I was beginning to realize what the truth was. And then my music teacher and I started to not get along as well. And by the time I graduated, I knew that I had a degree and it was not going to do me any good whatsoever. I did give a little bit of thought to trying to go to grad school, but other f- things intervened to stop that from happening. And so here I am graduating from college with a nice degree and absolutely no way to make it work in the real world. And that was a mistake. In retrospect, I should have pursued my other interests in the computer field. I should have gone for a computer degree right up front. I would have probably earned about a million dollars in career earnings that I did not get by not doing the com- computer field right up front. It, took, you know, it was many, many years later that I was able to go back to school and get the training I need to get into the computer field. So you live and learn. That was a big mistake. So to that point, what are some suggestions you have to folks who might be going through this in college now and, and maybe fumbling through the first year or two with their you know, yeah. courses they have to get well, done? Yeah. Get the hell out. <laughs> Seriously, especially, and it's worse, and it's so much worse now, given how expensive college is. I mean, the story I tell, when I went in, in my senior year or so, I was paying about between $350 and $400 a semester in tuition. And the books overall may be about, of course, I also had to buy sheet music, but the actual college textbooks may be about 50 bucks a semester. I mean, nowadays, you, you, know, you can't even buy your meals for any, I mean, this was in the late 70s. So obviously there has been a lot of inflation since then, but not that much. But with as, as expensive as college is now, if you are not absolutely certain why you're there, after about a year or so, if you don't know why you're there, you need to get out and figure out what you're doing. And if that means go out and out and getting a job, working for a while, that's fine. But don't waste more than maybe a year before you have a fairly decent idea of it. And if you don't, quit spending the money, start earning money, and you can still look around to figure out what you want to do in life. It's all right not to know what you want to do in life early on. A lot of folks don't know. It took me, you know, it took me six years to get through college because the music program took four years from whenever you started it. And I was already two years in by the time I started. it. Okay, well, that happens to people. I'm not sure what percentage of Americans actually finish in four years, but I'm guessing it's under under 50%. So by all means, don't throw that kind of money away, especially with college being as expensive as it is now. Do something else. My wife and I are sending our oldest to college in actually two weeks, uh, almost exactly two weeks. I feel sorry. So, for I, so do I. Uh, and I'm going to make sure that she hears uh, your advice. Uh, and to your latter point there, we told her we've got four years and that's it. So uh, I'll, yep. I'll make sure she's aware of that. So thank you for that. Yeah, be, be sure you do, because so many folks now do figure they will go. And one other thing I will mention, if you get to college and you want to go to college and you really aren't sure what to do. And I gave this advice to the daughter of a coworker a few years ago. Look at a business degree. I know it may not be exciting. It may not be inspiring, but it will tell the business world 
that you're actually serious about wanting to work. Nowadays, they look at you, and if you have an English degree or an art degree, they're going to think that you're not very serious. So if, you're, if you really want to go and you can't figure out what else, at least take a look at the business field. So, As a political science major and economics major, completely agree with you. Some, some more uh, sage advice. Thank you. All right. <laughs> We've been talking to Michelle Rogers, author of Trans Right, the story of how I grew up conservative and later turned transgender, along with my political philosophy. And we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. You have the power to be stronger, live fearlessly, and enjoy the benefits of a great life. Listen for Fearlessly Authentic with host Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody has proven at an age when many start to slow down that she is just getting started. With two grown daughters, a successful business that she started at 50, a finalist in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, and a two-time world bikini champion, she's ready to take you to the next level in your life. Fearlessly Authentic airs Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Are you disenchanted by the saccharine-laced stories that you were told when you were younger? Behind every success, there is a hidden journey filled with triumph and defeat. On From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay, you'll hear about the challenges that our guests had to overcome to become the successful people that they are today. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with Michelle Rogers. We've been talking about growing up in the South 
what it's like to play the lead in the death of a salesman in high school, and Michelle's realization later in life that most transgender people that she was born into the wrong body. You're coming to the realization that you were a woman was a process, but was there was also an epiphany moment. Share the process with our audience, and then if you would, tell us about a single question that really solidified the realization for you. For a number of years, I knew that something was not right. That's the best way I could put it. I wasn't sure what it was. I thought the nerdiness might have something to do with it. But as, as time went on, it became stronger and stronger, even though it was still quite unfocused. And then I heard about an old friend of mine whom I had not seen in years who lived in Atlanta. We had worked together on some hobby-type projects. And I had heard that this person had made the transition from male to female. And I went, whoa, I, I had never seen any evidence that this person had a female side. I mean, not he was not a macho man beating on the chest or anything, but he did seem reasonably male. And you're saying that person became female? Really? And I, maybe that's where I started thinking about it. I also knew that my physical body wasn't all that terribly male. I mean, yes, it had all the parts and everything, but there were other indications. And I, as I thought about it, I finally realized, you know, that there could be a possibility that there was something going on here. Then that person died of cancer. And I went down to Atlanta for the celebration of life afterwards. And that's where I knew I was going to run into some of the people that she, now she, was being in a group with and that there was the leader of that group would also be there. And that's when I had to work up the screw up the courage or whatever to take a moment during the process and go over to her. First of all, find her, go over to her and introduce myself to her and tell her that I wanted to question my gender identity. And we made arrangements. I did not see her immediately because I wanted before that, to do a photo session of what I would look like as female. And that took a while because you have to get clothing together. You've got to get a wig and very and make arrangements for makeup. And then we took the photos and I looked at them and I knew I wasn't the greatest looking woman ever in the history of the world, but I thought at least I could get by with it. And that's when I finally made the arrangements to meet with this person. And we started exploring the concepts. Now she doesn't tell you, Yes, you're male or yes, you're female. That's not how it works. She simply helps you explore it for yourself. And so does the group that she runs. And you're talking about one specific moment. And that came in a group session one evening. And I asked the question, how do I figure this out? Well, it turns out that there is a fairly standard question that transgender people will ask of you. If you're questioning and wondering and you're trying to figure out what gender you really are. Okay, imagine that you're sitting at a table, and there's a box on that table, and there's a button on that box, a single button. And if you press that button, you will immediately and irrevocably become a person of the opposite gender from what you are now, from what you were born as. Would you press that button? And when they asked me that question, without any hesitation, and without even thinking about it, I immediately said, yes. And believe me. That shocked me. Not the question, but my reaction to it. Yeah, I said, am I really that sure of it? And I knew immediately I was. 
And I think from that moment on, I knew that I had been a female all these years and had not known it. And it was really only a few months after that that I finally did make the transition to living as female. So it was a, it was a very surprising moment. That, that button question is really a good one for people who are trying to figure these things out. So, so now you've, you've pressed the button. Yeah. What was the reaction of family, friends, coworkers? Was it better or worse than expected? Okay. Well, family wasn't a problem because by that point, they were all basically dead. Or, or a couple out of town, but there were no local people that I had to deal with on family. Uh, friends, co-workers, when I first, they tried to play it low-key at first. I was in a, a college-like environment, so no one really went openly negative. Over time, I figured out that there were some people there who were not happy with my transition, but they knew enough that they had better keep their mouths shut or in an academic environment, they would probably get in trouble. So other folks I knew, well, some surprised me. I mean, some folks, you know, of my closest friends, one guy who is, who is my closest friend took it very much in stride. And as conservative as he is, I did not expect him to do that. He told me a lot later that he had always seen something in me that was slightly feminine, but he'd never mentioned it to me before that. And then I have another close friend, a female, who's been very helpful to me. But even there was one time when she told me, I just can't accept you as a woman. And for a while there, that really hurt. She finally changed her opinion and was willing to. I don't know if she can accept me as a woman, but she at least works with me and, and treats me like a person. And that's what. And there, and there are some folks I've known who have, don't, don't like it. And I have figured that out. And I try not to get in their face about it. I figure... First of all, people's feelings can change over time. Sometimes it takes time. And then there are some people whose feelings never change. This is not something that you as a transgender person can control. All you can do is work with it. You really have to just give other people the right to believe what they want and also just give them time. Maybe things will change, and if they don't, you have to accept it and move on. If they decide they can live, accept you better, and that's great. But trying to pound on them is, again, like I said with the general public, trying to pound on the friends and so forth is not going to work either. And it's, it would be disrespectful to them also. Earlier, you mentioned that you were bullied as a child. Oh, yes. Why do you think our culture tolerates, accepts, and perhaps even encourages bullying, even when we, when we say we don't? Uh, various reasons. First of all, I think it's just part of our heritage is human beings. I personally believe that human beings have an innate desire to bully each other. Not every single human being expresses that, of course, fortunately. But look at it throughout human history. Look at the way human beings have treated each other. It's, it's always been a very rough. It's always been a very rough world you know, for the great majority of people. And I think that the bullying simply comes out. In some cases, like in group settings, where you see initiation rituals and the like. It's something about feeling like you want a group to be special, so you put up a barrier to entry, some sort of a physical painful process that people have to go through to be part of that group. And that, again, seems to be fairly innate because no matter how much schools and other groups try to legislate against bullying, it never goes away. And 
Uh, you see it even in female groups, not as much as in male groups, but it does happen. Um, it's why do we tolerate it? And another factor for why we tolerate it is the very strong desire of most people to not get involved. Even when they see something going on, they figure it's not their problem. I've heard people in nursing homes say, well, they just have to work it out among themselves. Some of these folks really believe that people have to create their own social structure and whoever ends up at the bottom, well, that's just, that's too bad for them. So. Michelle, one thing we didn't talk about when we prepped a few yeah. weeks ago for the show was mental health. Yes. And a big focus on the show, especially during COVID, because that's pretty much when the show launched, has been focusing on people's mental health, yes. uh, suicide ideation, bipolar disorder, all those things with the, you know, the, the taboo word of stigma attached to it. Mm-hmm. And a few minutes ago, you struck me, you said, you talked about your female friend, where she finally came to treat you like a person. This is something you obviously went through over decades. Mm-hmm. As you go through this, and as you came to that realization of when you pressed that button, what's the mental health like of, of you, you know, early on in life and college, you know, to your adult life in terms of as you're going through this process? Oh, it, I mean, I cheerfully admit, it, it, you know, life has been hard because I've been pretty much alone most of my life. I finally figured out that almost no women wanted anything to do with me in any kind of romantic sense. That was when I started to figure out that I really didn't seem to be 100% male. And when you are that alone in the world, you are going to have a lot of trouble. And I have, I've had more than my share. I tried not to squawk about it. Oh, I guess my friends hear it occasionally, although I try to, I try not to pound on them because there's a limit to how much anybody can take. It's been hard. My transgender advisor also works with me as a general therapist and we're, that process is still ongoing. Um, Obviously, I would love to have a romantic partner, but that's the sort of thing that it's very hard for transgender people. If they're young and even for the young, attractive ones, it's not easy. And for anyone who's not both young and attractive, it's close to impossible. It's almost impossible to find a romantic partner. So that's not something I expect to happen. Plus the fact that I live in a rather out of the way city and I'm not in one of the major population centers. That also makes a big difference. So, I told myself when I started this process, I simply wanted to live in as dignified and classy a way as I could for whatever time I had left in my life. And the fact that I did this later in life also makes a factor, you know, let's face it, even if you had everything else going for you when you were as old as I am, which is 65, you know, it's not going to be easy to find anyone like that. So, yeah, oh yeah, I would say that, and let's face it, if you're a transgender you're probably going to have mental health issues and it's something you have to work through as best you can. So a moment ago, you mentioned that you went through most of your life being alone or feeling alone. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you're alone today? Mostly. I have a few friends. I don't have much of a social life at all. Um, I, you know, the therapy sessions help and that therapist also, you know, is still running a group that meets occasionally. It had to shut down. In the in-person meetings due to the pandemic, they've just restarted their in-person meetings, but they're only doing it monthly now, where before they had been doing it weekly. Plus, that's 
two hours away by car, you know, over two hours away by car. So that's not something I can do easily. So do I feel alone in the world to a great degree? Yes. Um, the few friends I have definitely help, but I would very much like to find more. So let's transition into your book and your political okay. leanings, if that's okay. okay. Sure. So you write that your political leanings were always, and I'm quoting you, slightly to the left of Attila the Hunt. Yes. And that, and that has not changed. True. So let's talk politics because I know from the book that you do have some strong feelings about what we should and shouldn't be doing as a country. So if it's okay with you, let's do a lightning round. I'll throw out a topic and you give me a 30 second answer. Is that okay? Sure. All right. First one, China. Very dangerous. Emperor Xi is, I like to call the guy because he really is now acting like the old Chinese emperors and not really much like a true communist or Marxist. He has delusion. He has grandeur delusions for wanting to take over the world and he's dangerous. Now, I don't think he wants to blow us away. I think he wants us to literally kowtow to him. And if you know what kowtow means, it means not bowing down with your forehead on the ground. He wants that kind of submission. And if we don't get our act together, he may, he may get it. I fully, I am very afraid that we are going to have to deal with China militarily in some way in the next 10 to 15 years. Russia. Russia, well... It was an interesting case when it was a Marxist country, which it really is not anymore. They may still have a communist party, but they don't really pretend to be communist anymore. Putin is a KGB man, always has been. He worked in the KGB. He learned their methods. He uses those methods nowadays, like over in what he's been doing with Ukraine, sort of phony war, sending in soldiers dressed as simple partisans, um, Russia still has a huge number of nuclear weapons, so they're dangerous in that sense. And they still are definitely trying to get as much uh, influence and power in the world. The big, one thing that would be a huge worry would be if China and Russia were to conclude a formal alliance against us. I suspect they already have a sort of a working agreement that they've never publicized. If we saw... For example, China go against Taiwan. I suspect we would see maybe Russia go after Ukraine at the same time. I expect that we'd see that kind of coordination. We could be friends with Russia. There are no fundamental disagreements, but they're so paranoid because of their past history that they can't trust us. And that's a shame. And I'm not sure what to do about it. America's place in the global community. It's fading. We very much used to be on top unquestioned, and that's no longer the case. I, I just read an article in one of the British newspapers of a guy saying that America's place as the shining city on a hill is no longer true. And unfortunately, he's right. The folks who are running the country now don't believe in the United States as any kind of exceptional place. They see it as a cesspool of racism and classism and mistreatment of people. And they want to bring their reforms that will make it, to use the phrase, a socialist worker's paradise. Unfortunately, I don't think those solutions work at all. Yes, we have problems with, you know, racism, of course, is still a huge problem. Um, the capitalist system does, if you let it go unchecked, will run over people. There are, there are ways to deal with capitalism. Racism, you've got to get people talking to each other openly, honestly. 
you've got to try to tell the race baiters to shut up. And I'm not going to name any names, but we, I think we all know who they are. Those folks are doing us more harm by stirring up racial divisions than they are promoting any good for any one particular community. So we need to try to get back to our former virtues if we can and try to rebuild things. But the current leadership we have now is not going to do it. Domestic policy, the national debt. Oh, the national debt. Believe it or not, I'm a deficit hawk. I firmly believe that countries need to spend what they have and not take on huge amounts of additional debt, which makes me in a very small minority nowadays. Almost nobody cares about the debt anymore. They seem to think we can just keep printing money and spending it forever. We've gotten away with it for a long time because we were so strong vis-a-vis the rest of the world. But even for us, it will catch up to us eventually. And when it does, it will be an absolute nightmare, not just for us, but for future generations. Taking on debt is a way of essentially stealing from your children. And we really ought to be better than that. And nobody else seems to care about it nowadays. Only a few people even talk about it. And that's such a shame. Abortion. Well, this is one case where I'm going to have to disagree with many of my transgender friends because I'm still a Christian. And I firmly believe that abortion is murder. And the only possible exception that I can make for it would be to save the life of the mother. Now, other people will say, well, what about a woman who was raped? Yes, I agree. It's horrible. I would be the first in line to execute the SOB who raped the woman. But give the kid a chance. We're not asking you to raise the kid forever. But there are so many places that will accept a child for adoption. It's not easy to find a place to give out a child to be adopted. No, don't, don't, you don't have to live with it forever, but give the child those nine months so that it can actually live outside the womb. Give it a chance. That's how I feel about it. Government paying for sex assignment operations. Well, I'll say this. If some other transgender person asked me about it, I'd say, do you, want, uh, do you want to help pay for my sex change operation? Which, by the way, I'm not planning to go in that direction. But it's a classic case of there's no such thing as a free lunch. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch, as a famous science fiction author put it. In the long run, nobody owes any of us uh, anything. Now, it's not really fair for us to expect anyone else to just pay for things. So, yeah, sure, I'd love to have someone else pay forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 if I were going to go that route. And I can understand why people get frustrated. But reality is reality. We come into the world naked. We leave naked. And nobody gives us anything. You know, whatever we have is whatever some people might give us while they're raising us and whatever we can earn for ourselves. And as hard, that's hard. It's unpleasant. But it's real. Transgender males competing in women's sports. Well, this is a tough one. And I've I've actually sat in a group meeting and listened to someone who competes, who was a male and now competes in a sport as a transgender female. And this person was accepted. But I just don't think it's a good idea. I do firmly, and, and you can tweak people's hormones levels all you want. But I do believe that being born as a male gives you certain advantages 
that you will never be able, never get rid of. It makes you have bigger bones or a bigger overall musculature, you know, physical structure than you would have had a bigger musculature. You'll probably have greater endurance. And even if you give up the testosterone, you're not going to up, going to give all that up completely. And it's a hard subject because I can understand why some of these transgender women want to compete as males. And by the way, you almost never see a transgender male try to compete. I mean, a transgender woman who becomes a male try to compete against males. It's always the other way around. But as much as I would like to help my fellow transgenders, I think this is one case where we need to battle the majority and accept that it's better for transgender women not to compete against cisgender women because you're going to kill women's sports if you do that. And do we want that? I don't. You've said attending school should not be a right. It should be a privilege. Yes. Now, on this one, you might be the right of Attila the Hun. <laughs> Why a privilege and not a right? Because of the way people treat it. So many people really don't care about whether they go to school or not. And I say that simply looking at what I see in the schools nowadays. All the horrible behavior that you see, the total lack of interest in studies. It's pretty clear to me that a lot of these kids don't want to be there. And that's crazy and that's stupid, but that's where they are. And it's the old lead a horse to water but can't make him drink thing. If they don't want to be there, if all they want to do is disrupt the situation for the folks who do want to be there, we need to get them out. And I think older generations knew that. And that's part of what part of the cultural heritage that we have lost. And so if you're not willing to behave properly, then you need to be somewhere else. And if you're, you know, if you're not really interested in going to school, then don't. And that's why I say that it should be a privilege and not just a right. We should not treat our schools as if they are government daycare centers. And all too many of our schools today are just that. Okay, the lightning round is over. Thank you for that. Okay, sure. Uh, and just one quick thing in terms of some of your earlier views on China and Russia. Mm-hmm. One, one of our guests last year was retired Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster, former mm-hmm. National Security I've heard advisor. the name. heard the name. Highly recommend you read his book called Battleground because okay. there's a lot of, synergy is not the right word, but a lot of overlaying same concepts in there. I think it might be of interest to you. Well, another thing, there, I don't even remember the name of this book. It's 20 or 30 years old, but there was a guy who wrote a book, not about who would necessarily start the next big war, but where in the world. And his point was that there were really only certain locations that were suitable for major warfare to, con- to, you know, to be conducted. Like he figured that pretty much the entire heartland of both the U.S. and Russia were basically off limits. He was looking at areas like the Caucasus, um, and I forget some of the others. And I wish I could dig that book up, but it was really fascinating to think that, you know, you can't, may not predict who's going to fight, but you can pretty well predict where it's going to happen. And that's, I guess, the sort of thing that they talk about in military colleges, which I did not go to, so I can't really you know, speak to it to that level. So, How much of your conservatism is rooted in your upbringing, and how much of your political beliefs were formed later in life? Oh, I think I, think I had most of my beliefs at a very early age. Uh, one reason for that is that in our city, we had the benefit of having two totally opposite newspapers in terms of political beliefs. One was a part of the New York Times empire, and it had been owned by Adolph Ox before he went to New York. And it 
you know, put out the standard establishment liberal viewpoint. The other paper was about as far to the right as you will ever see in a mid mid-size or larger city daily newspaper. And I had the uh, privilege of reading those editorials, and I may not have agreed with every single one of them, but they did give me a very good grounding in conservative politics. And then when I started looking in the world, it looked like the conservative viewpoint more closely matched what I saw in the world. So I think I had my political beliefs down at a pretty early age. So you previously stated that your political beliefs did not change once you made the transition, yeah. except that you became more concerned with LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus issues. I know. It's, it's tough. Yeah. A lot of letters. I'm sorry. I know. I know. <laughs> and, and what issues in the LGBTQ plus community are you most concerned about? The biggest single one is really, it's, it's so much more of how people perceive us and accept us. In other words, I'm like anyone else. I don't want to get the crap beat out of me. By people going, you know, I was at a meeting a night or two ago, and one lady said that she went to a bathroom, and she figured maybe her voice was a little too low, and she looks quite feminine. But apparently some other female started screaming, you don't need to be in here! You need to get out of here! And apparently that lady just kept screaming at her all the way until that person left. Um, I have not gone through anything quite that intrusive, but there's still a lot of that kind of hatred and harassment. Now, other issues, well, the, you know, like I say, the bathroom issue, um, the ability to change your gender marker on official documents like driver's licenses, birth certificates, et cetera. That's more of an issue than you. you know, some states will let you do it fairly easily. Others won't. And the state that I'm in now is incredibly restrictive about that sort of thing. I was able to get my name changed on my birth certificate, but not my gender mark. What does it bother other folks? Except for the fact that they want to stick it to a transgender person. Those are the kind of issues um, that I feel. And of course, the violence against transgender women. There's a huge amount of violence. It, you know, you hear about it, I'd say at least once a week, where some transgender person, usually a transgender female, has been killed. And a lot of them are transgender from minority groups. People just go up to them and kill them just for being transgender. In fact, in November, there is a day of silence with services in a lot of cities where they simply read a roll of everyone whom they, every transgender person whom they know of who has been killed during that last year. And I went to one of those services and it's a pretty somber occasion, I can tell you. So those are the kind of issues that I would care about. Are you involved with any organizations that are focused on the LGBTQ plus community? And can you tell me about the work that they carry out? Uh, not so much at the moment, mainly because I've been writing this book for the last couple of years. There wasn't really, and also the fact that I'm in a city that doesn't have a whole lot of opportunities for that sort of activism. There, they, some of them do a good bit of good work. I've been in a few groups of transgender people, and if nothing else, they provide a chance for transgender people to meet each other, uh, discuss common problems. I would hope that as time goes on, those of us in the LGBT community could do more outreach to the general community, just in a way of saying, you know, so like Joan Rivers used to say, can we talk? <laughs> so. Well, you talked just now about writing the book. Yeah. In some sense, did you write that to say to transgender people that's okay to be conservative? Oh, yeah, that was one of the factors. And, and mainly to tell the rest of the transgender world, you know, 
here we are. We're here, you know, we're not, well, you can talk about the word queer or not. I'm not going to use that one here, but we're here and we're not going away. And we're as much of the transgender world as you are. So. We're just about out of time now. Yeah. Do you have any parting advice for audience about how they can feel more empowered, lead through adversity, and achieve their goals? Well, one of the biggest factors there is just keep doing it. You know, the stick to that some people say, you can't achieve your goal if you quit. Um, there were times in the writing of the book that I wondered if I could do it. But I tried to just do a few more words, you know, maybe another paragraph or two. And eventually I was able to, I had written before in smaller, in shorter settings, but I had never done a book. Um, and life, you know, when you're alone and everything, life can get to you. The biggest thing is to put one front, foot in front of another and keep going. Um, other than that, just try to tell yourself that there's no, you know, there are never any guarantees, but if you keep trying, you at least give yourself a chance. So. Michelle Rogers, thanks so much for being with us today. All right. Glad to be with you. And as always, thank you to our wonderful audience for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek public figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place with another leader from the world of business, politics, public policy, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.